Welcome to the Confessions of a Codependent podcast. I am your host, Jenny Red Pill Rage Eon. Very, very proud to be bringing you my only non-political podcast. Something a little deeper, something a little bit more meaningful, something I think we can cross party lines in terms of how many of us suffer from the terrible pain of living a life with codependency. On this podcast, we are going to be talking about everything from personality disorders, narcissistic abuse, prevention, narcissistic abuse healing, narcissistic abuse survival. We're going to be talking about dating uh, tips, toxic fawning. We're going to talk about fight, flight, fawn, or freeze responses. Things not to say to someone who is a trauma survivor. We're going to talk about PTSD. Also the difference between PTSD and complex PTSD. We're going to talk about what self-care is, and what it isn't. We are going to be covering so many incredible topics and hopefully discussing tools that can help us along our journey to become healthier, more self-loving individuals who can truly find love in this world, truly find purpose, and truly live with lion-like courage. So shout out to Codependence Anonymous. Go visit the website coda.org. Let's get started. What is up, codependents and codependents? How are you? It's your host, uh, Jenny Red Pill Rage, here with another episode of Confessions of a Codependent. Um, I hope that you get a chance to listen to the last episode. That was a crossover episode that I did for Red Pill Rage to kind of let people know what was going on with me. I was, uh, I've had a really, really rough four weeks. Um, my father's wife died and there's a whole slew of pain and family dynamics and <sighs> there's a whole onion there to just unravel and unpeel with that and some of which I feel comfortable sharing publicly and in certain things are private you know there was a lot of um, different types of abuse in the family and uh, I'm not going to out my parents in terms of the things that they did but I'm definitely going to out my parents in terms of how those things affected me and you know what what has led up to me being a 40 year old woman who's never been in a long-term serious relationship over three years i've never been engaged i've never been married like never had the <clears throat> white picket fence life i didn't really choose to be an independent woman it was just a role that i was thrown into and never could really get out because I was in survival mode the last 20 years and today I, tr I try to create um, the softest lifestyle that I can so I can embrace my femininity and find a partner before it's too late. But more importantly than all of that, knowing myself, appreciating myself, loving myself. Um, reparenting myself those are the more important 
things that need to happen before that, you know, <clears throat> fairy tale ending, if it happens for me, will ever happen at all. But that's one of the great things about Codependence Anonymous, and, and it, it, it ties into the very, very first step. So we're going to go over some CODA material. We're just going to go over the 12 steps of Codependence Anonymous. But before we get to that, um, I need to make my confession. Um, like I said, the last four weeks have been really, really tough from my father's wife's death to having to go to the funeral and not having seen my dad in like four years to other deaths that had happened between people I knew from high school to my best friend's baby daddy to me getting injured in a mosh pit to uh, me then being uh, coming home uh, working for a couple of days and then getting t-boned by another car which put me in ICU for six days just got out of the hospital about five days ago definitely happy to be home but it's very very painful and it's very triggering um nobody really has been there for me <clears throat> i'm having a hard time <clears throat> raising any money <clears throat> to um get back on my feet and like pay down a couple of these bills that i have i think <clears throat> excuse me most of us live paycheck to paycheck and I, I have no shame in being a blue collar woman who also lives paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, when you go two weeks without work and then you've already dug yourself into a little tiny bit of a financial hole because you had to spend a bunch of money to go out of state for a funeral. And it's just a whole bunch of emotions and pain and um, also nostalgia and I think that it that is is a good way for me to lead into my confession. You know, I say all of those things to say this. Um, I uh, relapsed in my codependency. I called my toxic ex the day that I needed to fly out to L.A., because everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. It was one of those days that, you know, they make movies about. <laughs> John Favreau movies are made of these things. Any independent, any indie movie of the 90s is made of one of these days where it's just one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. But, you know, you pull through it, you solve your problems, and, and you get through it. Um... And the day I was supposed to fly out was that day. And as strong as I thought I had been, <clears throat> I relapsed and called my ex. And I told him what happened and I told him that despite his flaws that I really wanted to choose life and choose love and choose <clears throat> human connection and relationship over anything else in my life because 
I've put work for first many times. I've put job first. I've put self first. I've put vanity first. I've put clout chasing first. I've put a whole lot of other things above paying attention to the very people who needed me the most and who I needed the most. Tragedy after tragedy after tragedy has happened in my life with loved ones or with myself. And I don't want to turn my back on a connection that at one time made us both very happy. Because we broke up over stupid shit. And then between September and March, I hadn't gone on one single date with another man. And it wasn't through lack of trying, you know. Um, <clears throat> I definitely tried. But I just haven't met a single soul. I have not met a single soul. And that put me back into it, it it put me in a place where I was really grateful and I was really appreciating what I had and I'm going to tell you what the internal struggle was and I'm going to be really honest about that but basically he came over um he kind he calmed me down we discussed a little bit about how we broke up and I felt like we discussed it enough to where we could move forward I made the expectation, I had the expectation, the delusional expectation that we could have kind of just let it go and pick up where we started, you know, because we did, you know, we, we tried to be adults. We talked about it, you know, I set a boundary with him. I felt good about that. And I told myself going into that, into this, I said, there's a 50, 50 chance he's going to hurt me again. There's a 50, 50 chance he's going to make the pain that I'm already in worse and sure enough about what what three weeks later less than 25 days later um you know he 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 was he came clean about some shit yesterday and i cried quite a bit yesterday because i really really was ready to settle for this guy who is an absolute fucking mess. And it made me realize that <coughs> people only will treat you the way that they treat themselves. You know, this is a man that has abused his own body. This is a man that's been in jail a few times. This is a man that I gave so much respect to and so much admiration for and, and was so willing to be submissive to him for no other reason other than, you know, that kind of like boyish love bombing that he brought in the beginning and the fact that he was a Navy SEAL, you know, 25 years ago, 20 years ago. I gave him a whole lot more than he deserved. 
I overlooked the gambling. I overlooked the drugs. I overlooked the fact that he would never shut up. I overlooked the fact that he, you know, would often embarrass me in public just going to a restaurant, you know. I overlooked the fact that he was so cavalier about me paying for shit when we were dating and, you know, him bringing very little, if anything, to the table as well, other than entertaining me, uh, giving me great, amazing sex and, uh, being someone to laugh with on a daily basis. It's very hard for me to find that kind of comfort with somebody to where I would want to be around them every day. And we were around each other like every day for a long time. And then, you know, we never would go more than like five days without seeing each other. And this is over like a six month period. And then when he, you know, when he would come over, he'd come over for like three or four days at a time and just sleep in my bed the whole time. You know, it was great. We had that closeness, you know, we had that gentle, like peacefulness between us. But when it would, when he got ugly, he got real ugly. He got real ugly. And I'm not going to say all the shit that he did, but, um, <clears throat> for me, it's shameful it's shameful that after this journaling, after the CODA meetings, after the SASA meetings, after the 12-step meetings, after all the fucking narcissistic abuse survival <clears throat> therapists that I watch on Instagram, spelling it out for me on a daily basis, multiple times a day. <coughs> After the affirmations that I wrote on my wall and on my mirror and on my whiteboard. After fucking therapy, three years of it. All it takes is a really, really, really rough day for me to once again devalue myself for the sake of possibly not being alone. I have to look at this as uh, as a love addiction. And uh, let me go ahead and bring up what that means because I actually want to know for myself. So if you end up going to any sort of code codependence anonymous meetings or if you actually do get a therapist but you feel like you need additional support, um, <coughs> it is likely that if you have codependency, addiction, alcoholism or uh, sexual assault in your past, it is very likely that you have had a life of brokenheartedness as I have. And the funny thing about, let's see, sex and love addictions. All right, sex and love addicts anonymous. What is this? What does this mean? I don't even know. Okay, what is SLAA? <clears throat> Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous is a 12-step, 12-tradition-oriented 12 fellowship based on the model pioneered by Alcoholics Anonymous. The only qualifications for SLAA, SLAA membership is to desire to stop living 
out a pattern of sex and love addiction. What does that mean? People as drugs. Ooh, this is interesting. Okay, so this is like 32 pages and we're not going through all of this, but let's go through the beginning. Characteristics of sex and love addiction. Having few healthy boundaries, we become sexually involved and or emotionally attached to people without knowing them. Check. Fearing abandonment and loneliness, we stay and we stay in and return to painful, destructive relationships, concealing our dependency needs from ourselves and others, growing more isolated and alienated from friends and loved ones, ourselves and God. Check. <clears throat> Fearing emotional and or sexual deprivation, we compulsively pursue and involve ourselves in one relationship after another, sometimes having more than one sexual and emotional liaison at a time. Now, that would probably be more in my late 20s and early 30s, but I, I really haven't been like slutty like that in a long, long, long time, you know. I think that for me, this is like a 50-50 because I don't compulsively pursue and involve our, myself in one relationship after the other. I go months, if not years, between even kissing somebody. You know, I definitely have had a life where I've had to work so many jobs and so many hours that love life, having a love life was nearly impossible and then the type of men that I was around was like coworkers. So it's like, I, I really don't have an option there. You know, I, I will admit there were a couple of jobs, you know, <laughs> where <clears throat> maybe after I quit, yeah, I hooked up with a manager that I, you know, was flirty with or that I liked or whatever, or that I didn't know liked me. Yeah, but that was, you know, that's happened what, like, two times, three times, maybe my whole adult life. I don't shit where I sleep usually. Usually. Uh, number four, we confuse love with neediness, physical and sexual attraction, pity, and or the need to rescue or be rescued. Ooh, that's good. I definitely would say the need to rescue or be rescued. That pertains to me. Um, I have enough sexual discipline to where I don't feel the need to like go out and get laid. Like I'm just, I'm not that chick, you know, if it happened in the past, it would happen organically. Um, but again, I would go months or years between sexual partners. Sometimes I really would. It was, you know, I think I'm, my problem is that I'm not socialized enough. This is why I can't read people accurately because I ain't been around enough people. I haven't had enough access to enough men. I haven't. They don't hit on me. And ever since the digital dating took over, it's become harder and harder. But anyway, number five, we feel empathy, empty and incomplete when we are alone. Even though we fear intimacy and commitment, we continually search for relationships and sexual contacts. For sure. Um... I don't feel empty and incomplete when I'm alone, but I'm not going to be so above my biology that I'm going to be one of these women who's like, oh, I don't need a man. No, I need a fucking man. That's the goal here. That's the goal here. The goal is for me to have a healthy relationship at some point in my life before I die. 
I don't think that's so such a bad goal to have. I really don't. Um, it's just all the things that need to happen in order for that to happen, which is on me. All right. Anyway. Um, yeah, I continually search for relationships. Yeah. Maybe not sexual contacts, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always dropping the handkerchief for sure. We sexualize stress, guilt, loneliness, anger, shame, fear, and envy. We use sex or emotional dependence as substitute for nurturing care and support. Uh, that's a 50-50. Definitely when I was younger, but I've learned enough about how to nurture and support myself and reach out if I really, really fucking need to. It's hard, but I do it. I force myself to do it. Number seven, we use sex and emotional involvement to manipulate and control others. That's a sticky one. Because when you're on this journey of trying to work through borderline, codependence, C CPTSD, when you're on this journey, like it gets, <clears throat> some people don't control enough. And I feel like that's been the weird dichotomy in my life is that I'm so controlling creatively, so controlling artistically, so controlling about my own image, so controlling about um, um, my work ethic and anything that has to do with me working professionally. But yet in my personal life, it's like a uh, deer in the headlights. Like, yeah, whatever, whatever they want is what we do. You know, anyway, um, we become immobilized or seriously distracted by romantic or sexual obsessions or fantasies. I don't know about that. Uh, maybe metaphorically for me, I, I, I can become immobilized by the dreams of finding a healthy partner and having that intimate bond and connection that I've never had in my life. But I, it, maybe not immobilized, like can't focus every day, but immobilized in terms of emotional immaturity or emotional stuntedness. Okay. We avoid responsibility for ourselves by attaching ourselves to people who are emotionally unavailable. That's a tough one. And that's definitely a yes, but we're going to get into that very soon because this idea of me having a fear of intimacy is the real reason I attract people who have fear of intimacy. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm still trying to figure that out. It doesn't it doesn't, it seems counterintuitive and I'm still trying to understand it, even though I've heard a thousand people say it. Anyway, 10, uh, we stay enslaved to emotional dependency, romantic intrigue, or compulsive sexual activities. 11, to avoid feeling vulnerable, we may retreat from all intimate involvement, mistaking sexual and emotional anorexia for recovery. Oh, that's me. Oh my God, number 11, that's me. That's what I was talking about is like having long, long periods of time between even kissing somebody sometimes and then being so deprived, so love deprived that like the first dude that I meet like automatically becomes my boyfriend. But then of course they don't stick around longer than three to six months. So that's the extent of the relationship. And then it might be another two years before I even meet somebody that I really like. Anyway, 
Uh, but yeah, number 11, mistaking sexual and emotional anorexia for recovery. And this is why I say, for someone like me who's not socialized, I need to be more socialized. I need to be out there. I need to make more friends. I need to meet more men. And I need to see, and I need to really apply this the same way I would apply myself in terms of making money or finding a job or hustling through a really, really tough time. The same way that I strategically and, um, the same way that I strategically project manage any other thing in my life is the same way I need to do for my love life. The problem isn't that I'm a horrible fucking woman. The problem isn't that I'm uh, uh, that hard to fucking get along with. The problem is I'm just not, I've never been around that many fucking people and the ones that I have, have all across the board been alcoholics from friends to coworkers to bosses to employees to roommates across the fucking board all been alcoholics that's the fucking issue maybe if i was around some healthy people i could be i could be more vulnerable i could find people that i'm safer with i could get to know people in healthier ways so Again, when I talk about project managing my goal, 90% of it, however, does entail my own personal shadow work, my own personal reparenting. That's 90% of it. 10% of it is socialization. But I have decided that I do need to treat myself I do need to go out once a month, if at all. And hey, if I meet somebody, great. If not, I'm still going out looking cute as fuck, feeling good about myself, you know, working through my body image issues. You know, the thing is, guys, you can only do so much at one time. You can't take it all on. You can't peel every layer of the onion at once. You got to go one at a time. And one of the biggest things in terms of me mellowing the fuck out is embracing my femininity. And one of the best ways for me to embrace my femininity is to look fucking good and to be proud of myself and to really enjoy my body exactly the way it is now. Not the way it was 30 pounds ago. Not the way it was 40 pounds ago, but the way it is now. But anyway, that's the whole tangent. Number 12. We assign magical qualities to others. We idolize and pursue them and then blame them for not fulfilling our fantasies and expectations. 100%. And this is exactly what I did with my, with my toxic boyfriend. This is exactly what I did. In my heart, what I was telling myself was this. Let me show him who I am now. Let's see, I've, you know, I've slimmed down a few pounds in the waist and in the face. I got my own place, got my own apartment, you know, I'm working hard, I'm making my little money, I'm starting this business. Look at me, look at me, baby, look at me, look at me, value me, value me, accept me, 
Accept me. Love me. Love me. Love me. Love me. Look. Look. Look at. Look at this better place that I'm in now. Even though I was calling him on a day that, you know, I was having a shit storm. But still, you know, over the next, you know, couple days when we saw each other, we had a chance to talk more. And that's when I did the whole, I guess, I, I don't want to say it was performative, but it's like I, I'm, I'm trying to like update the dude, give him like a fast track to what's been happening the last six months and you know, those things come up. The things that I'm proud of do come up. And I wanted him to be proud of me. I wanted him to admire me. I guess you could say that's control. And then yesterday, when I asked him, you know, what's going on? Haven't heard from you. Like, you know, I just come, I, you know, I just got back from the hospital. I've been home for four days you know, haven't seen you just being like, not demanding, very, you know, working on my communication skills, not demanding, just, you know, kind of wondering what's going on. And then, um, he makes up some shit and, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like him, you know, it sounds like how he, how he is. So that, that, that I didn't have a problem with, but then I asked him, you know, no call, no text, you know, Hey babe, can you know, get well. Hey babe, hope you're feeling better. Hey babe, have a good day. You know, something. And his his answer to that was this. It was um you know, he fed me some bullshit about you know, being on his phone when he has to work and and it's like Sweetie, we had this conversation last summer when you started that job. I have never blown up your phone. I have never demanded that you text me back. I know when you don't text back, it's because you're working. Same as me. Okay? We established this eight fucking months ago. Like, what are you talking about? And then he goes into this rant about, you know giving me, you know, me expecting shit from him and he's, he's not emotionally available and he can't, uh, we can't pick up where we left off and he's hurt from, you know, what happened and he's still hurt from that and, you know, that's why he's treading lightly with me and we're taking it and it's like one minute he's all in and next minute he's not. But then again, was he all in or did I delude myself into believing that? Because if I could just show him I'm good enough, even a piece of shit like him would want me. Even a cheap piece of shit who um, belly aches on the phone about giving me 80 bucks to buy fucking groceries when I just get home from a fucking totaled car a ruptured diaphragm, and I can't walk. Telling me on the phone, oh, I can't take care of you. I said, I, I said, me asking you to come over and give me affection is not taking care of me. I didn't ask you to move in. I didn't ask you to fucking be over here every day. I've been patient for four fucking days. 
I just got out of the hospital. I thought we were boyfriend and girlfriend again. My bad. But yeah, that was that was rough. That was a rough conversation. And I will say this. Um, you know how like we can tell when men are bullshitting and they're just like making shit up on the fly because they haven't really thought out what they want to say to you. So they, you know, they, they distance themselves, they keep you at arm's length and, uh, you have to go through that painful period of like waiting, but like also wanting to reach out, but not wanting to reach out too much. And I never reach out to him too much. I'll send like one text message. I'll make one phone call and that's it. You know, I'm not, I don't blow up men's phones. I don't do that childish ass little girl shit. That's one thing about me. I don't do that. Um, but it was just really painful. Like the whole discussion of me welcoming him or wanting him back into my life was predicated on the fact that I am growing. I am valuing relationship, friendships and love and, and all of that stuff more in my life. I, I want us to, you know, we know we were happy together or at least fake happy for, on his part. I don't know. Things are cool. We never demanded anything of each other. We had a nice, easy flow. Nice, easy flow between us always. Until, you know, of course, he throws his tantrums and then, of course, it's not a nice, easy flow. But, um, yeah, I guess I was delusional as fuck to think that in that short amount of time, I could make this guy fall in love with me and be there for me even a little tiny bit. Um, maybe I was uh, trying to control the outcomes a little bit too much. And maybe even now, as I do this podcast, I am guilty of, you know, number 12 here, where it says we assign magical qualities to others. We idealize and pursue them, then blame them for not fulfilling our fantasies and expectations. That's a big, that's a big one for me. And I am guilty of all of that. So I guess I do use people as drugs. And that is wrong of me. And it's hard to know where being genuine to yourself and saying, these are my needs, where you've been a people pleaser and a fawner your whole life and you don't say what your needs are and then you start to say what your needs are and then you get punished for saying what your needs are. It makes you scared. It makes you unable to open up and you have to keep trying. But then in keep trying and then, but within that, it's like you can only try with safe people. And not everyone is fucking safe. You can't tell your pain to certain people. Because as I expected, he would make the pain worse. If I had just gotten through that one stressful day, I would have been fine. 
I never would have called him. I never would have reached out. I never would be feeling this right now. And I did it to myself and I got to own it because when you play, when you play with these junkyard motherfucking dogs, and a woman can be a junkyard dog too. When you play with these fucking ferocious, selfish, toxic, um, personality disorder motherfuckers, and you're the only one in therapy trying to get better, you know you're playing with fire. And I knew I was playing with fire. I knew I was playing with fire. But I wanted to test myself, I guess. It really wasn't about loving him so much as it was about testing myself to see, okay, can I deal with this dude again if I hold myself to the standards that I've set for myself? And that means, or that meant, speaking up, telling him directly what my needs are and not playing uh, mind reading crystal ball games with another person, um, communicating my emotions. I did those things. So I challenged myself to speak up for myself. And I did. And in the end, it, it, it was, it was, this is the way it was going to go anyway, because it only would have been a matter of time. If you have an intimate relationship with a woman and you say you love her, that woman gets into a car accident that could have easily taken someone else's life. That woman is lucky to be alive, comes out of ICU, comes out of the hospital, is healing great, and you don't even go see her? Like not once in a four day period and not even a text? That's pretty cruel. He told me that any time he spends with me is time going backwards and he has to go forwards. And, you know, he got into a lot of shit when we weren't together and he's got to pay his parents back $2,200 for the car and, you know, just, you know, laundry lambasting me with, with his fucking problems. And I'm thinking this guy loves me. That's how fucking pathetic I am. That's how low I'll go. I'm giving my heart to a man that can't even make me a priority, can't even take an Uber to my house to come see me for a couple of hours. Feeds me a line of shit about, oh, you know, if he, if he borrows his mom's car, you know, he's, you know, he can't come see me. It's like, come on, you could have before. This was the cruelest punishment that I could have bestowed upon myself. And it, it lends to speak about how much of a fucking masochist I am. I thought I loved myself. 
That's why I called upon him to be loved or to feel loved again. I guess using people as drugs. So this whole... <laughs> Let me go ahead and go back to CODA and read the actual 12 steps of CODA, okay? And I'm going to go through these, yeah. And uh, this is what I originally wanted to tie everything to, but we're getting close to uh, 40 minutes here, so I want to go through it. These are the 12 steps of Codependence Anonymous. So what we went through before was um, the, what is this, journal for, it's called, oh no, no, this is, these are the 12 character, what we went through before was the 12 characteristics of sex and love addiction. And let's see, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So I have 10 out of the 12. So, oh my God, I guess I need to start going to these meetings too. <laughs> well, that's all part of project management. I just need to add that to the list. I am now sex and love addict as well. Jesus, can't get any worse. See, I'm telling you, this is like, this onion is, is real. The onion is real. The struggle is real. Okay. All right. So 12 steps of codependence anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over others, that our lives had become unmanageable. Check. Two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Check. Number three, made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood God. That one I struggle with. Number four, make, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That one, um, I, I feel like I've started with that process, but I haven't really fully explored it. And that's, that's going to be a tough one. Um, that's, that's the onion right there is number four. That is the, that is the, uh, the struggle onion is that one right there. Okay. Number five, admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in that for sure. Number six, we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Absolutely. Yes. Number seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Uh, number eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. That one is a step that no matter what 12 step you're in, that one is the really, really tough one to do. And I'm not even close to being there yet. Number nine, made direct amends to people, to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Um, number nine is, it goes in hand in hand with number eight. So no, I haven't gotten there yet. Number 10, continued to take personal inventory and we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So I guess that's what confessions of a codependent is, you know, I can admit it in my meetings. I can admit it to friends, even though there are very few friends I feel comfortable 
discussing this much of my love life or lack of love life with them, you know, but I, I do have, uh, one or two female friends that I can talk to and like one guy friend that I can talk to a little bit about dating life and more importantly about my own mental health. That's what, that's what we talk about more than anything else. Because it seems like, <laughs> to be honest with you, it seems like other than like one of my friends who's a serial monogamous but has never been married herself, but she's definitely a serial monogamous. Like she stays in relationships for like six, seven, eight, nine years, you know. So she's certainly more healthy than I am. <laughs> but... um the other two, like, one of them just dates so many girls and can't decide on any of them. And the other one, like, she's a beautiful woman. And she, I think she, she talked about having, a, like, a, a booty call last summer. But I don't think she's out there like that to where, like, she's doing, one, you know, with one guy after the next, after the next, after the next. Like, she's, she's a little bit more conservative. Like, she's more of a, if it happens, it happens. If it don't, it don't. But, you know, she ain't out there looking for dick, but she also ain't going to turn down no dick either. So <laughs> that's more like what she is. Number 11, through prayer and meditation, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we have understood God, praying only for the knowledge of God's will for us and for the power to carry that out. No, not there yet. I told you, I don't do well with God. But we're going to figure out the higher power thing. Number 12, having, a, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other codependents and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. So that's why, that's why we have Confessions of a Codependent podcast. And please make sure to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or leave a rating on Spotify. Please, 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 please. Um, let's grow this thing. Let's get as many codependent people recovered or at least us all recovering together, no matter what step we're on. All of us codependents, all of us sexual assault survivors, all of us, um, love and sex addiction people. Um, we all need a lot of help. And we got to get the help before time runs out. Because I'm going to tell you one thing about being in a near-death experience. When you are on your deathbed, you are not going to be concerned about how much you worked, how much you hustled, you know, all the fucking fundraisers and parties. You're not going to be concerned about all that. You're going to be wondering... What quality time did I spend with friends or family or, you know, a romantic partner? That's my number one concern. So I, I approach life a little bit more seriously than the average person. I don't live life anymore as if I have all the time in the world and I can just sit at home and hope that's, that that some cowboy is just going to ride through my apartment building and just come find me you know, standing on the balcony, watering my plants. I can't hope for that. 
ladies and gentlemen, I've gained a lot of weight. I'm getting, I'm 40 years old. Good quality men are going to be asking me questions like, what's your longest relationship? And, you know, why don't you speak to members of your family? And, and, and what's going on with how you were raised? Good quality men are going to want to know why my body count is so high. And if it's a forgiving man, if it's a man who maybe has been through some shit himself and like, you know, has probably done more dirt than I have. If it's a man like that, who values me based on who I am and not based on the past, a man who's, you know, either isn't that big of a deal to him or, you know, he can look at it, but a good quality man will eventually ask me those questions. And I'm going to have to explain the father-daughter dynamic and all the bad choices that came from that. I'm going to have to explain the date rapes and all the bad choices that came from that. I'm going to have to explain um, the time when I was doing webcam. I'm going to have to explain what would possess me to get into the swinger lifestyle as a unicorn because, I, again, I was so desperate for love. I thought... If, if I can't find a man that'll love me, maybe I can find a couple that'll love me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that, I did some dirt for like two years. <laughs> I did some dirt for, I put, I wasn't, even then I wasn't like with that many couples, you know. I was with like five couples over a two year period. I don't think that, compared to how other people are hoes in that lifestyle, like I was the most conservative one, trust me. I was very, 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 very picky. And nine times out of 10, it was just me with the chick because the dude usually had some erectile issue. So to be honest with you, like that's how all that went down. So it's even less partners than you would think. <laughs> you, you think it's 10, but it's more like four, you know? Four or five, you know what I mean? Um, but anyway, um, I forgot what I was going to say, but I forgot where I, where I was. I take life more seriously. Life is precious to me. And just like I told my toxic ex, I'm telling you guys, every friendship, every connection, every lunch, every dinner, every hangout, every... Any, any time that I can spend with people that care about me is going to be a good time and it's going to be a time that I value. And it's going to be a time that I am going to, it's going to be something that I pursue more of in my life. My father's wife's death was unexpected. If I'd have known this was going to happen, I would have tried to repair relationships years ago. Years ago. If I'd have known that codependence and sex and love addiction and complex PTSD was going to bring me to the, to the place I'm at in my life now, I would have gotten therapy years ago. We act like we have time. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't. You don't. You don't have time. 
figure out what your strategic plan of action is going to be to work through these things so that you can live a richer, more saturated, more beautiful, colorful life. Whether we ever get the fairy tale ending or not. I want to love myself by the time I'm on my deathbed so much that I am radiating life and energy into the nurses around me as I leave this planet. That's how much full of love I want to be. Love for myself, love for the people I'm close to, and love for strangers in the street. I want to radiate love. But I can't do it if I'm damaging myself. I can't do it if I'm hurting myself. There's got to be a better way. I know there's a better way. I will, I will fight and scratch until the end to find the better way. I am not going to let codependence take me the fuck out. I don't mind getting married later in life. If it's another 10 years, I hope to God I still look this good. But even with that, self-care is tantamount. Not getting in car accidents is tantamount to that happening. Loving myself is how I keep that glow and keep that radiation, that joy. That's my number one challenge to myself. The onion is onioning. And amongst all the layers, that is the core issue. 101, loving yourself. That is the answer to all the problems. It's just we got so much to tangle, to detangle. We have so much to comb through. Every time you think you work through one issue, another one comes up, slaps you in the face and reminds you how much more work you still need to do. You guys make sure you are going to the CODA website, coda.org, C-O-D-A.org. Make sure you are finding... Sorry, I declined that. Make sure you are um, <clears throat> going to the website, finding an online meeting to go to. If you don't want to go in person, go online. For those of you who can relate to maybe even a small fraction of anything that I've said in this podcast, 
you know, you would consider maybe Sexual Assault Anonymous and then also um, LAA. Love and, what is it? Love and Sex Addiction Anonymous. Love and Sex Addiction is Anonymous. There's a lot of articles on here. This is uh, SLAAFWS.org. Check that out. Um, maybe you can, maybe this will resonate with you as well. Maybe, hopefully, hopefully you get less, uh, check marks than I do. I got 10 out of 12. So that's very, very, very sad. But anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you, uh, comment, 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 rate, 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 um, share, 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 please. Let's blow this thing up. Let's get as many people in recovery as possible.